Little honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at them loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that I created to spotlight the people of the state of Tennessee and our southeastern neighbors who produce, prepare, and preserve regional foods and agriculture. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine when she was only nine years old, and she is a big star now and has a new album called Family Wars, and we're just so proud of this young Tennessee talent. This morning, we're setting the table with tamales. My guest is Jack Neely, Executive Director of the Knoxville History Project. And Jack is going to share with us a few stories about the history of tamales in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I'm calling this particular episode, The Knoxville Tamale Tale. We are so happy that you've decided to tune in here with us on the computer or radio or podcast or however it is that you've decided to listen. I just really thank you for tuning in. Let's join in now with Jack Neely. Well, Jack Neely, Executive Director of the Knoxville History Project. Good to see you, Jack. Good to see you, too. You were telling me the other day about tamales. Yeah, yeah. Tamales uh, have a a fascinating history in Knoxville. I grew up with tamales. My dad always uh, fixed them at home, especially on a Saturday afternoon after we'd been working in the yard or something. Um, And I started noticing uh, uh, he had some exotic taste, so I didn't know for sure where it came from. But I started noticing, even as a kid, that you could get tamales in various restaurants. And uh, uh, like the Glenwood Sandwich Shop and so forth would have tamale and chili, and they called it a full house. And that's something you can also get, uh, especially in the cold months, uh, at uh, places like the, uh, the original Friso on Central Avenue or Central Street up there near Happy Holler. Um, uh, and I think they just have it in the, in the, in the cold months, but so does, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the folks at the Todd Moore Tea Room have, uh, have a tamale and chili in the, the full house. It's, uh, but I, I, I didn't realize until I was older that you can't go to Chattanooga and get a full house. It, it was, it was something that was kind of common in lots of old restaurants here. Um, but, but you didn't see it so much elsewhere. So I was kind of curious about that. To begin with, I mean, um, just the uh, the fact that tamales were common here, 
before and when I was a kid, there weren't any Mexican restaurants. You know, this Mexican restaurants are kind of recent. I, I don't think we had one until the very late '60s, I believe, is the first Mexican restaurant I know of in Knoxville. There was a place near Cumberland Avenue back then, and then, then there was a later place out uh, at Kingston Pike. Um, but but the um, uh, the fact that we had tamales and they were so common long before tacos or burritos or whatever, I just got kind of curious about that fact because tamales in, in some ways are kind of more complicated than tacos, you know, because they're not anybody, anybody can make a taco, but uh, you have to know how to make a tamale. And uh, it's because uh, it's got the, the, uh, the, the, the corn, um, the corn flour and uh, anyway, it's a, it's a, you know, wrapped up, it's something that you have to you have to prepare as a tamale. You can't; it's not just stuff you throw together. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, it's uh, it, it, I was curious about that. But then um, I think it was, and, and I just noticed it just it was an odd quirk that that we had something called a full house on <laughs> old Knoxville menus, and he didn't. Sometimes you might go to there was one place in Nashville that served tamale and chili, and I. It was an old place downtown, and I asked them if they ever called it a full house, and they said, what? Why would we call it that? And, <laughs> but apparently that was just a Knoxville thing. Yeah. Um, but I uh, uh, got really curious about when I, I met uh, Mr., talked to Mr. Perkins, the farmer. Uh, for many years, a lot of people don't realize, you know, we've had uh, a farmer's market on Market Square since 1854, and it used to be a very big deal, hundreds of vendors and, and uh in the 1890s and early 1900s, it was uh, it was it was it was huge. It was considered the best farmers market between Norfolk and New Orleans, wow. and uh, and people came here from as far away as Alabama to sell things, and uh, uh, just because it was it was such a good market both for the the consumer and for the seller. Um, mm-hmm. There were so many uh, so many things there, but but over the years it dwindled, um, and uh, after they tore the market house down in 1960, it was still thriving for several years but by the 1990s there was just one farmer who was there very regularly sometimes there were two or three but there was one guy who was there uh, three days a week and his name was Cheryl Perkins and um, he was a, uh, a farmer from the Seven Islands area who would he would come in and and uh, bring a variety of, of stuff uh, stuff he'd grown himself and also stuff that he just picked up at the produce uh, um, Houses, you know, you'd, you'd sometimes sell bananas and things like that. That I'm pretty sure he didn't sell. He didn't grow on his farm, but <laughs> but anyway, he was he was always there. And uh, and I remember he didn't have it often, always or often. But he uh, uh, one day about 20 years ago, I remember noticing some little little parcels uh, tied up in twine. And I said, uh, Mr. Perkins, what are those? And he said, Well, those are tamales. And uh, Said tamales, really? I uh, said you, um, they're homemade and they're just sitting out, not refrigerated or anything. They're just sitting out on the on the that uh, that plywood uh, uh, bench where he used to sell stuff. And um, but he said, yeah, no, no, we ma- we make those at home. And um, he said, my my and Cheryl Perkins was in his seventies at least, uh, and and he said, my my aunt makes them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't ask how old his aunt was, but, but and he said we've been making them ever since I was a little kid. And I thought, well, this must go back to the twenties or something. And uh, and I uh, I thought, well, that's really interesting. And I, I I should have pried more and talked to his aunt, but I didn't. Um, but over the years, I just started talking. And every time I it would come up in conversation over beer or whatever, I'd talk to people. And uh, 
I think it was uh, Mr. Ron Allen, who was a uh, uh, kind of a well-known, who's an insurance man, but he was kind of a uh, an antiquarian. He was a book collector and music, uh, sheet music collector and things like that, a collector of just oddities. Uh, put out a few kind of interesting offbeat books about Knoxville history that are uh, may still be available through the History Center. He died several years ago, but... but um, uh, he said, oh, yeah, he grew up with Tabalis, too. And uh, I don't know if it was he or I that first noticed in the old city, direct, city directories. Um, but we, I remember we talked immediately about this because he and I, I think, were the most, the ones we knew were, were most interested in this. In this. We, uh, but we, I ran across uh, in city directories around 1908, 1909, that there was a, a category in the back of the city directories where they would have uh, have uh, saloons and harness makers and uh, you know livery stables. They had a whole category um, uh, for tamale manufacturers, and in the old Knoxville city directories, more than a hundred years ago, you see tamale manufacturers. Um, wow. And this was uh, this was uh, a astonishing to me. I, I, I thought this goes back a lot farther than I thought. Um, first of all, I might mention that before, uh, after I talked to to Mr. Perkins and found out about his aunt, I saw this great photograph that's been reproduced in a few different books. In fact, I think it appeared on the cover of one of, one of those uh, kind of historical photograph books um, of a place called... Uh, the Biltmore um, on uh, on uh, on Market Square. It wouldn't remind anyone of the Biltmore House, certainly, but it was a uh, it was a diner uh, just around the corner from Market Square on Union Avenue. You can still actually see part of the sign for it in the alley there in the side. They used to have a have the sign that said the Biltmore, and it was a uh, it was a, a Greek owned uh, diner that did uh, really heavy. Lunch business is one of those places that uh, you know a hundred people would cram into at lunchtime, and and uh, and and they would be less busy at other parts of the day. But uh, but they did a whole you know a lot of high high turnover business. But in this this picture, this wonderful picture of, of has, seems to have the whole staff of the restaurant with about twenty waitresses standing out on the sidewalk, and a couple of uh, guys that that ran the place with the chef and so forth. Uh, were out standing there too, uh, and they all were. Uh, some of them had uh, had glasses of beer with them, and they, they had beer out on the sidewalk. And I think it was probably done very soon after the uh, the uh, the legalization of, of alcohol after prohibition, 1933. I think we kind of uh, dated that picture from a license plate in the picture to about 1933. And on the sign above the place, uh, built built more, it says it says what they've got there and it says uh, uh, tamales and chili and and so that was obviously a selling point in 1933 not just that they had it but they they knew that people would be drawn to a place that had tamales in Knoxville downtown Knoxville in 1933 um, anyway uh, then I found the city directories with uh, with tamale manufacturers as a heading anyway I looked at these uh, this category called tamale manufacturers and there usually just were a couple of, 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 of businesses represented but they were all all the businesses I ever saw listed as tamale manufacturers were run by black men on the east side of town you're listening to an interview with Jack Neely executive director of the Knoxville History Project
This is Clint Smith, syrup maker from East Tennessee, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Blackberry picking is supposed to be fun, right? When I was a child, it was anything but. That's because my mother made us kids cover everything but our face before we hit the bushes. Closed-toed shoes were a must, lest we step on a snake. Long pants and long sleeve shirts were required so the briars wouldn't eat us alive. And gardening gloves were a must so that there would be no need in grabbing the tweezers and removing thorns later in the day. Once the picking was finished, we would enjoy and snack on our bounty on the way home. That's when my mother would pull out her largest cast iron skillet and make a monster cobbler. And if divided appropriately, it would feed our family of seven for at least two days. There was nothing exceptional about her cobbler except that she never made the same one twice. Instead, she would grab her latest acquired church cookbook, look in the dessert section, and find a cobbler recipe that she knew wouldn't take half a day to prepare. In other words, there was no lattice work on her creations. Today, I leave the blackberry picking to my grandkids. I'm more apt to get my blackberries delivered in liquid form, as in blackberry wine, So taking a cue from my mom, I grabbed a copy of the 2002 First United Methodist Church cookbook and found this lovely recipe for blackberry wine cake. To prepare, preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Then grease a butt pan and dust it with granulated sugar. Sprinkle a half of a cup of chopped pecans in the bottom of the pan In a large bowl, mix together one box of white cake mix, one cup of blackberry wine, one three-ounce box of blackberry jello, a half a cup oil, and four eggs. Pour half the batter into the bunt pan. Sprinkle with an additional one-half cup of chopped pecans, and then top that with the remaining cake batter. Bake for 60 minutes. Now, to prepare a glaze, you get half a cup blackberry wine and one box of powdered sugar. Stir that up and then spoon half the glaze onto the cake just as it's come out of the oven while it's still warming in the pan. Once it's cooled, remove the cake from the pan, spoon the remaining glaze over the cake. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table. All right, here's more from Jack Neely, Executive Director of the Knoxville History Project, and the continuation of this episode of the Tennessee Farm Table called the Knoxville Tamale Tale. And uh, and one name I kept running across over and over, and that was that of Harry Royston, R-O-Y-S-T-O-N, uh, who was uh, 
uh, one of the more consistent tamale manufacturers, and I tracked him forward. He began as a guy with a, a lunch cart, more or less, that he, he pushed around downtown and sold tamales in various places. He would sell tamales down the Bowery, where all the saloons were, um, but also would sell them up on Gay Street, where the uh, where the opera house was, and, and he would even sell tamales to people in, in tuxedos and evening gowns coming out of the uh, out of the opera in, at you know ten or eleven at night. But I wondered about the, is this the guy the guy that 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 um, introduced tamales to Knoxville or Knoxville to tamales? Who knows? Um, but I uh, I didn't think that I would ever know the answer to that until somebody was researching and found uh, a uh, an obituary for Mr. Royston and they describe him as the man uh, who introduced tamales to Knoxville and for that everyone is uh, was 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 grateful he came here in 1887 and seems to have just uh, hit the ground running right away with this tamale cart uh, originally from Greenville Tennessee according to his obituary I wondered if this might be a uh, might have been a misprint because Greenville Mississippi is kind of famous for tamales um, but I had looked into it, and I think, no, he was really from Greenville, Tennessee, uh, but he had been with the circus, had followed the circus around, and had handled concessions for some of the, these traveling circuses that were very common in the late Victorian era and the early, early 20th century. Um, and, uh, and I think that's when he started, picked up tamales and started selling tamales, and, uh, and they became quite a hit um, here and in some other cities, too. Uh, they were catching on in Atlanta and a few other places, but... But Knoxville had tamales very early, um, 1887. Um, another inter- interesting thing about Mr. Royston, he, he sold not only tamales, but he sold hot dogs. And uh, a, a little side note, this is one of the many things I say that convinces people that I'm making stuff up, But because uh, I'd never heard this until I saw this in a, uh, a story, uh, not a story, but a, but a report more or less by a... a uh, culinary researcher in New York who was trying to determine the history of the hot dog. Uh, Knoxville did not invent the hot dog, but he said the first place where the term hot dog is used in reference to a what they used to call a, a, a wienerwurst uh, in a bun was in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1891, and it was being sold from street vendors, and that was just the time that Harry Royston was selling tamales and hot dogs, and he may have been the guy that coined the term hot dog too. We don't know that, but um, but it seems to have. Uh, I mean, the it, uh, an odd name. I always thought it was an odd even name, even, even when I was a kid. For for uh, where's the dog? You know, but uh, mm-hmm. but the uh, but that they they were called hot dogs in in 1891 here, and that the name spread around the country after that. Apparently, um, what a great story. Yeah, it, it's 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 great. But but Harry Royston, he had a great business plan. He sold tamales and hot dogs, and mainly in the winter months. These were hot, hot dishes for cold people. And in the summer months, he sold ice cream, what he called hokey pokey ice cream. So he was busy all all year and and did okay. But he uh, but he had this cart that he and he sold to, to white people up on Gay Street and black people down on Central and Willow. And he eventually opened his own tamale restaurant. Uh, where he sold mainly tamales, apparently, on the corner of Willow Street and Patton Street. And if you go there today, it's really not much there, except it's kind of a corner of a parking lot for the old city, but um, and across the street from where the old Lay's Packing Company used to be. But um, 
but that's uh, he had a he had a permanent business there and and um, had some imitators. And that's why there were there sometimes multiple entries in the tamale manufacturers category in the suit directories. Um, but that that goes way way back. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. I read a, a story in uh, Smithsonian or somewhere in the last couple of years talking about the tamale phenomenon in northern Mississippi uh, in in Greenville area and uh, how uh, they have developed their own tamale tra- traditions again, mainly in the black community. Uh, not there, there aren't that many Mexicans there, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but they say that they believe it came from around the time of World War, possibly as long ago as World War One, from uh, Mexican immigrants, uh, you know, or migrant workers who were who were working in Mississippi in that in that era. But it's funny that they trace it just back to World War One, and they're kind of famous for tamales, Mississippi, in that part of Mississippi. Um, but we we have proof that we had tamales thirty years before that here in Knoxville. So so uh, anyway, it's, it's an interesting. Uh, an interesting uh, irony in in Knoxville's culinary history that that we have been eating tamales, uh, you know, probably longer uh, than than many more seemingly uh, familiar American things like like hamburgers. Uh, but uh, it, it's uh, it's amazing how they go back. Oh, I love this story. You're listening to an interview with Jack Neely, executive director of the Knoxville History Project. After a short break, we'll return with the Tales of Tamales in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is Charlotte Tolley of Nourish Knoxville at nourishknoxville.org, and you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table on East Tennessee's own WDVX. All right, here's more from Jack Neely, Executive Director of the Knoxville History Project. And the continuation of this episode of the Tennessee Farm Table, called the Knoxville Tamale Tale. Is that claim to fame? Yeah, yeah, I'll say, yeah. <laughs> but I've I've talked to people, some people like Ron Allen, who uh, who uh, remembered some of these tamale uh, vendors, um, and uh, talked about there was a guy that was that was disabled, uh, didn't walk very well, and he would just drag uh, a. Uh, a wagon with a little, like a like a little heater, uh, sterno type heater, um, mm-hmm. uh, with him to, to to keep the tamales warm, and would sell those like back in the '30s and '40s. And he said it was a really unusual kind of a tamale, unlike what you get in, in jars in the grocery stores or in restaurants. Really, um, there was a very uh, thick, uh, uh, meaty, spicy kind of a tamale. Uh, and according to Ron Allen, uh, the only person that carried that kind of tamales, in my experience, that I could have tried and known about, was Sarge's, which was on Western Avenue. And Sarge uh, 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 Jackson made made uh, made these really unusual thick um, tamales with a really dark meat that had uh, had some kind of sausage mixed into it. It seemed like to me it was a it was a, a really a, a really interesting uh, taste, smoky kind of a smoky but sweet kind of a kind of a thing uh, with a little bit of a. Um, he always claimed it was a, it was a, it was a, everything he did have was touched with the, some Caribbean uh, flavors because he had uh, been in the army and been stationed and and in the tropics somewhere, but um, but he uh, was uh, anyway. This is what 
uh, I've never had a tamale like Sarge used to make, and I, I would love to think that somebody in town can make these things. So. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Uh, uh, one thing in um, in one of the clues that I got along the way about tamales um, was that in John Edgerton's uh, great book, Southern Food, which is the most exhaustive treatise on the subject of Southern food ever, and John Edgerton is much admired among uh, Southern uh, cooks and culinary historians, um, and a good guy. He died a couple of years ago, but uh, I got to know him uh, some. But he uh, he put out this book, before I knew him, he put out this book, Southern Food, which uh, kind of fascinated me because Knoxville is, is mentioned in there only once. It's a very thick book, hundreds of pages long. Knoxville gets one mention, and guess what we're mentioned for? Tamales. He uh, he mentions that that there was this guy who was selling tamales from a handcart in Mechanicsville, and and, and he wrote this book in the early seventies. So um, that Knoxville's <laughs> in Southern food, Knoxville's only claim to fame is his association association with this really great tamale that this uh, fellow named uh, named Green, I believe Charlie Green, maybe mm-hmm. was selling from a from a handcart in in Mechanicsville uh, almost fifty years ago. I'm glad that made it in because that is sort of the encyclopedia of Southern food. A lot of people think you're or right. Feel yeah, that yeah, way. it's yes. a great, it's a great piece of a great, a great work. If you don't have a copy, you need, you need one. Uh, they, I'm glad it finally came out in paperback. It's a little bit cheaper than it used to be, but and I think they have, they either have or recently had it at the History Center. If um, mm-hmm. if uh, you can get pick it up there, or mm-hmm. or probably any any bookstore could order it, um, but. Um, but anyway, uh, Charlie Green's daughters uh, ran a tamale place on Magnolia for many years that, uh, in fact, just closed probably 10 years ago. There's a place, uh, Mary's Tamales, it was called, oh. on Magnolia. Um, and, uh, and it was, uh, they, they sold great tamales. They weren't the, kind, the same kind of tamales that Sarge sold that, that Ron Allen thought were the distinctive Knoxville tamale. In fact... When I interviewed them, they said that their that that their father had come from Mississippi, and it was kind of a Mississippi style tamale that he sold. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, it's a it's a it's a a, a fun a fun a fun detail a, a, a irony paradox, I guess you would want to say about uh, Knoxville's culinary history. But I love the resonance of the fact that today there's a place called Good Golly Tamale, which is on Central Street. And it's literally about one diagonal block away from where Harry Royston's tamale place was. I mean, it was all down there that this was going on. But uh, Good Golly Tamale has more flavors of tamales. I was there just last week with my daughter. She loves the place. But it was, uh, you know, they have uh, have some some Asian chicken tamales, and they have uh, they have vegetarian tamales, and they have which I would have thought was impossible, but they've got a kind of a soul food vegan tamale and. Uh, uh, Beef and 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 barbecue pork and all sorts of tamales there, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Sarge and Harry Royston and all those folks didn't didn't have more than one or one or maybe two flavors of tamales, but these folks have eight or eight or ten of them. It's a, it's an amazing an amazing place, and and I um, anytime you want to show people something about Knoxville that they're not likely to find anywhere else. Uh, um, I found the good golly tamale is a, is a good place to, to take folks. I took uh, 
a bunch of faculty members from a visiting university uh, uh, not long ago took took them down to Good, good Golly Tamale, and, and they were all pretty impressed with it. Um, Their food is delicious. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're just nice guys, and yeah. they're young fellows that started this business, Yeah, and they've got their cart at the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I guess they That's still right. do is when I first saw them. And yeah. I love they're carrying on this rich tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yes. you're, you're right. They they have a restaurant on on Central in the old city, but they they have their their card up on on the farmers market every Wednesday and Saturday, I guess. And so it's a it's a a, a cool thing to to see that tradition. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. that Harry Royston, who at one time lived near Market Square, would uh, uh, you know probably sold uh, more than one tamale on, on the square too. So. Um, but it's a it, it's a it's a cool thing. Well, Jack Neely, executive director of the Knoxville History Project, talking about tamales here today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Elaine Strano, Executive Director, Second Harvest Food Bank. Our website is secondharvestetn.org, and you're listening to Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.